Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But I'll, I'll have what a, do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. You, no, no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline. And deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome to episode 157 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name is Charles, and once again, unfortunately, here I am by myself doing an intro. Uh, It's not that we're really busy. It's just that, hey, it's hunting season. No, I'm just kidding. We are busy. And it is hunting season. Tomorrow will be the statewide opener for Pennsylvania archery season. We've been busy. We've been down in 2B in the early regulation hunting for the last two weeks. A handful of times we've had some close calls. We'll catch up with that on the next episode that we drop. We are going to record one tonight as you're hearing this. Uh, the night before the opener from camp we're planning on jumping on with my brother Joe and Austin and doing a little bit of a preseason jitters, preseason excitement episode. So looking forward to that one. That should be the next one to drop and I do apologize about these solo intros because It's tough. It's just tough. And we have a nice little healthy backlog and we haven't done an episode in a couple weeks. So we're both busy. We're both grinding right now to make sure we continue to get you guys content every week. And we're extremely excited for season to start up. So I hope everyone else out there is just as excited. If your season's already in and you're listening to this, good luck. If your seasons are starting tomorrow, have a plan and good luck. But let's jump right into this thing. Let's get some of the business out of the way. First and foremost, we have to thank our partners, and Scree is atop of that list, of course. Scree has done so much for both Austin and I and this podcast. Uh, I think I mentioned it last week. They've joined on for a giveaway for you guys for the fall. I mean, they've. I'm, I'm looking at a whole pile of Scree right now in front of me as I do this intro, and I can't, can't say enough about it. My new favorite piece is the Venture Flex Pants. It's a brand new pant that is out, and it is absolutely phenomenal. The fit the way it wears, how lightweight it is, but still durable and tough enough to get kind of through some of them briars and brush without completely mutilating your legs. It's quickly become my favorite piece. But don't forget about the Merino wool guys. Their base layers, the 150s, are going to come into play this first week of season as it temperatures are going to be rising. Of course, we've had beautiful weather all year long. Here comes season. Boom, Mother Nature. Here's an 80 degree high week for the first week of season. No big deal. Guys, get on the food sources. Stay close to water. You'll be just fine. So you can go ahead and check out ScreeGear at ScreeGear.com. Check out all their deals that they have going on right now. I know they have the hard scrabble pants and some other great deals on the outlet. They always have some kind of sale going on at every point of the season. So grab your stuff. It ships quickly. It should get to you quickly. If you're a last minute guy like me, this is a great opportunity for you to go ahead and grab something and have it by the time it cools back down 
next, well, I guess in two weeks. Second, we have to thank VIP Archery. Just recently put in my order for broadheads for the season. Of course, like I just said, I'm a last minute guy. Put in an order for combat veterans and I want to try the new commanders. So I also grabbed some new commanders in 100 grain. So I have both of those coming out to me. VIP's got some great things coming down the line. Just talked to Matt yesterday, got my order put in. It shipped the same day I put my order in. So I am going to get those broadheads extremely fast right before season. Again, if you're lacking in preparedness for the year, if it snuck up on you like it has many of us, go ahead and get that order put in. It is shipping the same day. So that's not just for me. I'm not just the VIP member of VIP. That is the same for other guys that I know recently purchased broadheads and got them in super quick. The nice part about that is you just twist them onto your arrow and you're ready to go hunt. Go check them out, viparchery.com. All right, I've rambled enough. I think I've covered our partners and we have a great episode for you guys today. So we have Back 40 Seed Company. This is a company out of Pennsylvania. We love our Pennsylvania companies. Back 40 is no exception to that rule. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast in the past. I've laid an entire quarter acre to a half an acre of their game fuel blend and that thing is coming in nicely. The deer are not staying off of it. They are crushing it. So it's still growing, but they are eating it up. They are loving the game fuel blend. So go check those guys out. You'll hear in this episode a lot of talk about food plots, but it goes into so much more depth. These guys are awesome. They're sitting around a campfire, enjoying a beverage. Literally what we say this show is all about every week is just that. And they're the first ones to actually go out and do it and record with us. So Bear with us. Some of the audio might be in and out. They're on an iPad, but it seemed to be very good the whole way through. And I need to remind you guys, they did give us a discount code. So at the end of this, they mentioned a discount code for anybody that orders and uses the code DISTRACTION10 will get 10% off their order. Very generous of them. We did not expect that. We didn't ask for it. That's something they came on, volunteered for, for our listeners. We can't be more appreciative. So remember, DISTRACTION10. Go check them out, Back 40 Seed Company. All right, you've heard enough of me. Let's get to the episode. All right, guys, and we are back. We have the boys here, Pennsylvania boys, from Back 40 Seed Company, and it is a full campfire side podcast that we have going on tonight. These boys are literally sitting beside a campfire right now. We have Roy, Bill, and Howie joining us from Back 40 Seed Company. Boys, what's going on tonight? Having a blast out here, enjoying this beautiful weather tonight. Yep. Nice night out. Yeah, we just got done. I uh, had a full day at the uh, Pennsylvania Bowhunters Festival in Sullivan County Fairgrounds today. We've been down there doing seminars and selling seed, and we're just back here tonight and enjoying the campfire. Cold night. Great for uh, great for sleeping, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and, and talking about seed, right? Talking about seed. Food talk. I like it, man. I'm going to have to crack the windows tonight. That sounds great. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> you got to have cold air. That cold air makes everything just much better, especially that cold mountain air. Oh, yeah. I live for that shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm a little jealous. It was definitely, it got chilly tonight towards the end of the night. I was actually in a tree stand tonight. We talked about that a little bit before we went live. First night out there, it wasn't too bad. I mean, it was warm going into it. But, man, what a beautiful night it's been. And the mornings have been great. You guys, I mean, you couldn't ask for better campfire weather. No, you can't. No, it's been pretty, pretty nice. Sorry, let's, we'll jump right into this thing. We're going to do a, an intro. We want to, 
in case nobody's heard of Back 40 Seed Company or they, they don't know who you guys are, we like to kind of bring it back and do a little introduction. So if one of you want to step over and step up and just jump into it and, you know, whatever you want to say as far as the beginning of Back 40 and who you guys are, uh, we, we'd like to hear a little bit of intro on each of you as well, though. Yeah, uh, Roy, and I, uh, Roy and I started uh, Back 40 Seed Company. We've been in business now. This is our seventh year in business, but he and I have been food plotting together for oh, right, roughly 15 years, and we started back at his grandfather's place, and he was uh, the, the the original food plotter and kind of taught us a lot about like uh, how to get things started. Things evolved enormously since then. Back then, we were primarily we'd put in uh, we'd put in oats and we'd put in buckwheat in a field, and that was a food plot for us. But now Roy and I have uh, kind of developed. Uh, we've actually like come on to have we have 10 blends actually and we started with four and now we're up to 10 blends we blend all our seed and so there's more than one component in each blend and we have we're up to 10 and we actually have a couple of new blends we're actually coming out with next year so we've been food plotting here for quite a few years and between uh roy and i and howie together we probably are looking at you know we're looking at 40 plus years of food plot experience collectively that's impressive, man. Very impressive. I'm kind of like the silent partner. The silent partner. All right. Get into it a little bit. So let's let's see what that is. I'm kind of like the silent partner. Yeah, I, I uh, found these guys like on social media a little while ago. And I bought some property up north, wanted to get into plotting. Started hitting them up with questions. And, man, they fired right back with answers. And I'm like, these guys are legit. Uh, ended up meeting up. Well, I forget where we met. One a show somewhere. A show somewhere we met up, and yeah, it was he lots of questions, and we we got him. Uh, he's playing a lot of our seed. He supported us through the whole whole shebang since we've been in business. Uh-huh. And Does a lot of seed testing for us. We give him a lot of seed. He tested in a totally different section of Pennsylvania than where we're from, so it helps us out a lot. Just became really good friends, and we he helps us out with all our shows we do and everything else, but. Yeah, so I just want to try and support these guys. They've been pretty helpful for me. So as a Pennsylvania boy myself, I like to support Pennsylvania companies and try and keep the money in the state. And, you know, I just couldn't, couldn't ask for better guys to be a part of. And that, and truly, and that being said, what we kind of, we started out just like a lot, of, a lot of people do that are food plotters. We started out, Roy and I did, with some of the bigger name companies and, and uh, some of these guys that, and, and they have legitimate seed. I'm sure that they're they're they people have good results with with some of their seed. However, they're a lot of them are from Texas and Alabama, and a lot of the origin is not anywhere near Pennsylvania. So we started doing some of our test plots up here, and we started tinkering around with a little bit. And we uh, each each component we we test separately, and we would go through a pretty arduous process, really, whenever you really came down to what we were doing. We're not scientists; we're knuckleheads, and so we kind of. <laughs> put things together and it kind of, you know, as, as, as it kind of goes, we develop these things and Roy does a lot of that, uh, breaking down the, the percentages of, uh, you know, what we put in each, in each blend. I mean, there's, there's a, there, there's a little bit more of a science and, you know, for, for knuckleheads to come up with like what we got. I mean, we, we have some pretty successful food plots and, and yeah, a lot of the blends we developed and we played with, it takes a couple of years till I get them figured out. Like I plan them and I'm like, all right, I got too much, uh, I got too much clover. I got too much, turnip seed percentage in this it come in too thick and then i play around with it lower the percentage up the percentage of this add this try this maybe get rid of something 
and we usually try to test it like two years in our fields and a couple of our buddies' fields and stuff before we even put it on the market for anybody. And then we might even change the blend up a little bit, like two years down the market, just, you know, I mean, two years down the road, just because something's not working right. We try to make it perfect and everything works good for us. Like we're, we're, we're regular backwoods guys, you know, we're, we're planting food plots for ourselves and mainly developing these blends for ourselves, like in our own fields and stuff, but everybody else likes what we're planting and wants to get it so that's sort of how we become a seed business we're just selling it to people now and a lot of our friends wanted it so that's how we got into this and it's been taking off we got a lot of good customers in pennsylvania uh northeast here new york ohio uh maryland a lot of seeds going out to a lot of people here in the northeast there i'm getting a lot of good feedback too a lot of phone calls saying hey everything we got off you is great i'm switching to your seed it's pretty good It's, it's a fun thing to do yeah, that's got to be a good feeling. I enjoy the food plot thing. I, I'm just glad that the seed that I'm planting, everybody else can plant now, and it's working out good for them. There's a, there's a, a method to combining all these components, like in, in each one of these blends. They're, they're complementary, so it's not just us just like throwing a dart at the dartboard. We we kind of put these things together, and there is a method to it. And You know, there's we have uh, uh, annuals that, you know, come back, you know, that uh, are really for one year planning and, and there are perennials and obviously the, obviously to us, maybe not to everybody, but the perennials come back, you know, you can get four or five good years out of a perennial plot. And what our idea is to try to try to uh, feed the deer 12 months out of the year. That's kind of the food plotters creed right there. You want to be able to feed the deer all season long. And a lot of these different blends, what they're kind of for is to target some of the nutritional needs for the, for the deer and, and the wildlife in general, but there's a lot of different nutritional needs at different times of year. So we kind of try to customize all those things just like that. So, and it's worked out, like Roy said, it's worked out real well for us. We're playing around with it all the, all the time, something different a little bit here and there and kind of it's working real well for us. And we're, we're having a lot of, like he said, a lot of good feedback from like all the, all the folks we're getting to see it out to. That's awesome, man. You know, it, it's crazy, and I guess you don't really think about it. Like, a lot of the seed companies, I mean, there could be a seed company in Alabama, and I'm sure it works great down there, but as soon as you bring it up north here in Pennsylvania and New York and let's say somewhere even like North Dakota or somewhere where it gets cold, I mean, that's something that a lot of people don't think about. I mean, those you guys developing something for more of like a northern blend, that makes a pile of sense. I mean... There's a tremendous soil difference. There's a, obviously a different giant giant difference in the growing season and and uh, and volume of rainfall in Pennsylvania. I mean, you guys know we're Pennsylvania guys, and the weather around here is uh, uh, <laughs> you can't. It's very unpredictable. How about that? And there's a lot of hills here. There's a lot of hills and ridges and valleys here, and a lot of different uh, a lot of different landscape types that. And that all comes into play as well. Like, you know, whenever you get down into some of those, if you're in Texas, it's it's flat as a pancake. And, you know, you, there, there's nowhere flat anywhere where we go. Even like, you know, our farms are, there's hills everywhere we go. And it makes a big difference as far as like, you know, rainfall goes. And, you know, hills have a tendency to water where water runs. And I mean, it'll run some of the nutrition out of the, out of the soil. And that being said, I mean, like, you know, to start out, I mean, what we always do recommend, first thing we do recommend is, is people get a soil sample and makes a big giant difference. I mean, soil samples, they'll, they'll tell you the, the, 
the pH value and, and nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, that's one of those things. We're always going to talk to you for one second about the lime and how important the pH is and the acidity of the soil. And I'm going to let him take over for that for a second. Yeah, that, that's that's my key thing. Anything I do, I like you do soil samples. A lot of guys do it. They want to know everything about the soil. Me, I'm mainly going for my pH. I want to know what that pH is. If any, that's the main thing. If I'm down in the, well, let's just start out. Uh, neutral is seven. That's where you want to be at seven. For most food plots, you're looking at seven. A lot of soil and PA. I break. I, I do a lot of food plots. I probably did thirty to forty acres this year. Um, a lot of the soils in PA and new, new plots and stuff. I'm looking at like a four three to five three pH, which is way low. So it's going to take me maybe uh, two years to get that up to six to six and a half. And if I want to get to seven, it might be three to four years. So it's like food plot and it takes time to do that. And I mean, there's lots of different ways to get your pH up. I mean, you got the powdered lime, uh, pelletized lime, and I'm actually working with a company right now. I'm not going to say who it is yet, but I'm working with a liquid lime, which is going to be really easy to put down. You can mix it in your spray tank, ATV sprayer, everything else. Put it down. It works just like ag lime. It's a liquid form, real easy to apply. It'd be great for guys doing small plots in the woods, getting in with backpack sprayers or an ATV, something like that. Real easy to apply. You don't have to worry about you know the powder and pelletize forty pound bags of lime. You know you're putting tons down. But this liquid stuff, I'm really hoping it works out for us. I put down. I think we did about. 25 acres i tested this year with this liquid stuff i took soil samples beforehand most of my phs were in a 5 to 5.5 and the way their company's talking to me it should bring it up within five months to at least one point which i'm really excited if i can do that in five months the importance of that uh the importance of that lime is the, yeah that key feature is so that plants have the ability to uptake all the nutrients and so fertilizer we you know to move on to the fertilizer piece there's fertilizer uh, uh can you can waste a lot of money fertilizer is extremely expensive it's a lot more expensive than seed by the way and and fertilizer can't be taken up by the plant without having the ph correct so so you're wasting money if you if, you, if your ph isn't right uh, if you're down at a five five and you put 400 pounds of fertilizer down then plants are only taking up about 100 pounds of that fertilizer the other 300 pounds you put down you might as well throw that in the garbage because it ain't doing nothing. You're just wasting money. So soil samples are the most important thing to do. I, I swear by it. A lot of guys don't do it, but I swear by it. It makes a world of difference. That's pretty much step one. I mean, so, you know, and as far as like getting a soil sample and, you know, what we do then from there really is we're, you know, and, and some people spray and there's there's arguments for spraying and we're talking about spraying to kill the weeds to do a little uh, to, to, to prep your prep your food plot, but we do spray. We spray with glyphosate, and and uh, and that's usually like it's a, it's a Roundup type product. That's a generic Roundup, and to to kill all the weeds, roughly a couple of weeks after that, then you can start to tinker around with the soil there a little wee bit. And there's a lot of different ways to turn up the soil. And just to fire this out there, there's no no such thing as uh, as too small of a food plot. We have people that put in small kill plots in the woods, and 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 they work. We have people that uh, one of our buddies that puts in a his entire backyard, which was actually a really good idea, is his house is kind of propped up against the woods. And instead of cutting the grass, which, you know, is a weekly at, at best, you know, at, at the very best, you know, you're kind of least weekly. And so he 
filled his whole backyard up full of our, our clover. And so now you really, it's a lot less maintenance and you spray it twice a year and we'll get into that spray thing here in a wee bit, but you spray it a couple of times a year and you only got to cut it like once a month and has an entire backyard full of deer and groundhogs and, and turkeys. And it's, it's, it's pretty wild. So no such thing as too small of a plot. No such thing. Of course it's too big. So we, uh, we encourage anybody that like, you know, anybody that has a little piece of property at, and, and equipment wise, it doesn't take a, doesn't take a, you know, a lot of heavy duty equipment really has a little bit of everything. And he's food plot now for, for a living, but you know, we started out a lot with a lot less equipment than what he's got now. So yeah, a lot of the equipment, a lot of the equipment I'm using right now was my grandfather's and my great grandfather's. I'm talking a lot of my, some of my stuff's like 1930s, 1940s. Uh, I'm going back old, old school stuff where I could still work on it, but it tears the ground up and it makes food pots. I'm, uh, my grandfather taught me all this stuff and we, I still do it the old school way. Like uh, everybody has drills. There's nothing wrong with a drill. Yeah, I'd love to have a drill, but they're anywhere from 6000 to $40,000 and I'm not spending that when I can have all this old stuff that still works. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. I got to say, I can tell you guys have podcasted before because you guys answered the, my first two questions right <laughs> off the bat. That is wild. Get out of my head. I love it. I absolutely love it. I, I like everything about it, man. I, I'm very intrigued as to like never thought of it before where most of the seed you probably get is coming from an area that's not here. Yeah. But that is one thing when I heard of back 40 seed and you know, we heard from you guys from the PA bow hunting boys. They swore by it. They've been using your seed for years and they absolutely love you guys. And I, I start to realize, yeah, you know, it is Pennsylvania based. Why not give the love to Pennsylvania? But then you guys got me thinking now, like, yeah, these guys are legitimately putting this seed in the same earth and the same ground that we are. And it just makes sense to do it that way. But I, I guess when did that become an idea for you guys? Because I'm sure you guys were just like us. You were always, you know, food plotting and doing things before you were back 40 seed. But when did it finally click? Like you had a need or you guys decided, look, we can do this or we can do this better. Was it out of necessity? Was it out of, you know, personal gain? Uh, just because you know that you can put seed in the ground differently for Pennsylvania, it's going to work for Pennsylvania. Well, mainly when I started this, like I said, we were using some of the big name companies with my grandfather that every he swore by. That's what we used. Mm -hmm. We planted it. It did it did fairly well for us. Certain places, but it just wasn't it wasn't coming in like I, I thought it should. I started sort of messing around with my research and I got on the internet. I started researching on seeds for different climates, different stuff. And then I'd order uh five pound of this type of clover maybe five pound of this three pound of this and i started planting the different clovers in strips in fields we had like a one acre field there i plant six different types of clover in strips and it would all come in beautiful and we could sit there and watch in the tree stand and the deer would walk through three or four of them just to get to a certain type of clover they didn't want nothing to do with any of the other types they would go to that certain one and then we'd uh, say, okay, they're hitting this one hard, and now they're hitting this one really good, too, a little bit later. So we blended these seeds together. And we pretty much just started planting it on our farms, our farm there at my paps. And I had a lot of buddies, a lot of friends saying, hey, 
that stuff you got planted back there is awesome. Like, blah, blah, blah. I want some of it. Okay, I'll get you some. I was getting it, giving it to them. They'd buy it. Just help me out with money. They'd pay for it. And then they were like, hey, I, my buddies want it. My buddies want it. You know, this guy wants some. I, this guy wants some. And I'm like, oh, let's just, and I said to Bill, I said, let's try to start a little seed company up. Well, we started out, we had four blends. I mean, we had, we started out with a clover blend, alfalfa, a brassica blends that we, we were blending before we were even a seed company. We started selling them, sort of took off. And, well, here we are now. We got, we're 10 blends later. And we're hoping to launch one to two more next year that we've been working on for the past two years. And, yeah, some of the some of the need, you know, really, I mean, under, and you guys are from the state of Pennsylvania, and some of the need really, I think, was, you know, there, where we we deal a little wee bit and different for different areas, I know, but especially where we are, we are in the chronic wasting area, and and there's the the game commission has a tendency to had a de- tendency to decimate like our deer herd, so there are a, a <laughs> a lot of deer that we used to see that we aren't seeing near, near the volume now. And, you know, there's a game, there's a lot of game lands in the state of Pennsylvania, which, you know, we appreciate and they, and, and they do a fair enough job, I guess, or whatever. But for as far as our need were, the, the ideas, you know, the, the basic ideas are of food plotting in general are to, to, to bring the wildlife onto your property. That's, that's a key piece. Uh, and, and then also obviously to keep them there and, once they're there, what we're putting in the ground is, is to make the, make the deer a lot healthier. And, you know, what we put in the ground is a lot, a lot more uh, fortified, really a lot. You know, we, we have protein levels that are between 30% and 45% protein in a lot of the things that we're putting in. So as far as that goes, I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're making a lot healthier of a herd and, you know, a lot of those, the food plots have a, have that ability. And we've like, mentioned this earlier to kind of put the, put nutrition at uh, different times of year, the deer have uh, different nutritional needs, and you know, uh, obviously, the fat stores for fat fat stores for the winter, and lactating does, and and the fawns in in the spring, and there's different nutritional needs, and we try to feed the deer all year round, and and we, we we've been pretty successful at that. So we're seeing a lot more deer on our property, and, and a lot of other people are doing the same thing. I mean, food plotting is now a lot more in vogue than it was at one time, and a lot of people are doing it and, it's, and, and it, you know, the, a lot of people are doing everything. They're, they're going to the extreme. I think too much. They're taking too much. <laughs> they're taking all the, all the fun out of it. They're going with the, you know, the science behind it. You go out there and plant the seed, go out there and get the seed in the ground. Go out and have fun doing it. You know, like I said, do a soil sample, find out where your pH is. If you've got to put lime down, put lime down more or less. You can do it with cheap equipment. Get to tear the ground up put the seed down, call it a packet, put some fertilizer on it and pray for rain. Rain's the biggest thing issue. If you don't have rain, stuff don't grow. Sometimes before the first thing, uh, like what you need, might need to, before you even get your soil sample test, sometimes first thing we always say, like uh, first thing this project needs is a case of beer. So that always <laughs> seems to, it seems to work real well for us. And, you know, that seemed to, that seems to be a winner and it hasn't ever <laughs> hasn't really changed too much since then actually so a lot of the stuff we do we have a we have a blast doing it and, and you know i mean we're we're not uh we're not scientists uh we're we're we're, ba- we're barely farmers we're kind of knuckleheads and and we're probably you know as good as anybody is at it i mean and you know i mean i don't mean food plotting as being knuckleheads is what i'm talking about so we do, <laughs> we do we do a real nice job and we have a blast at what we're doing and we like it i mean we're we you know 
if, if it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. Just nah, isn't I, like, I mean, I, I was a logger for the past eight to ten years, and I'm on my third year now. I mean, I went I went part time logging, and now I'm I'm doing total food plot installs for guys. That's all I do. I mean, I did thirty or forty acres here this year. It wasn't all for me. It was for other people. I'm I'm doing full installs, like everything. I manage your land. I set their food plots up, plan everything. Like it's fun. I like. I mean, I'm not even hunting over these food plots. I just like seeing them grow, and it gives me a place to put my product out, and it works great for somebody else. And I I see it working. It works. And if I don't like how it works, I tweak it. You know, I I tweak the blend a little bit. It, it's just it's just a fun 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 thing we're doing here. No, I would totally agree. I, I think it's very rewarding. You know, when I first started, you know, you watch the outdoor channel and you see these lush plots and stuff. You're like, oh man, you know, when you start to do it yourself, you realize it's not, it's easy, but there's a lot of work involved. And easy as in, if you have your soil right, you manage your weeds correctly, and you get seed to soil contact, stuff's going to grow. But it's a matter of, of getting to that point, you know, breaking ground and getting everything set up. And then once you see those deer come out or turkeys or something in the field and you see them start taking them bites and eating that and you're like, you're hooked. You're like, oh my God, this is what I've been working so hard for the last couple of months. Now it's working, you know, and it's just, it's, it's very rewarding to be able to do that. And, you know, you might not even get the deer, but you know, you're making the herd healthier and benefiting the habitat and the land. So it's, for me, it's very rewarding and that's what I, what I like to get out of it. Yeah, we, we hear that a lot. I mean, we know we have, you know, besides, you know, Howie's a friend, but we have people that are, oh, we're going to call them somewhere between friends and, and I hate to use the word customer, but there's, you know, a lot of people that are, are fellow food plotters and they come back and, you know, we see them and, and this is one of those shows. We see them and Roy and I do a fair amount of shows now and a lot of these shows that we're doing, we get people to come back and we don't recognize everybody because we meet a lot of people that, you know, we'll say, hey, you, uh, ask them if how they're, how, you know, if they're, if they're food plotters and so on. And they say, yeah, you know what, we're, we got some of you guys' stuff and it came in great and we're just back to get more. And so we get a lot of repeat guys coming and getting our stuff and all, you know, it's primarily guys up here from the Northeast and everybody and everybody shares their stories. They whip out the pictures and man, you can't tell you how many people whip the phones out and they're showing us <laughs> pictures of the deer and what they got coming in this year and the deer that they shot last year and you know, their uncle and their kids are all shooting deer. It's kind of crazy. And so it does work. I mean, you know, food plots work. That's the bottom line. They do work. And, and, and I, I feel like, you know, we're, 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 we're providing a service here, but we're having a blast doing it at the same time. It's kind of fun. Definitely. Now you guys mentioned that nutrition, I, I think that's a huge part in, you know, the herd health. And I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions out there because a lot of guys want to food plot and they don't because they think it's hard. So a lot of guys end up hunting acorns or they put out minerals in the, in the fall and in the summer, more so the summer, I guess. And you hear guys say like, Oh, they got acorns. They got a lot of food this year. Or, oh, I put out a salt lick for them. You know, I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions because inherently acorns aren't really all that good for deer. What do deer realistically need? Like you guys have 10 blends out there. What are you guys putting into these food plots that are actually like, you know, helping the deer out? What is it? Is it phosphorus that they need? Is it calcium? Kind of go into that a little bit. A lot of it is like that, the calcium, magnesium, but a lot of it's protein. Protein, they want protein for fat stores. Like, and, but like even, even saying, but the food plots is what, like 15 to about 15% of a deer's diet. 
the rest of it, they're, they're eating out, they eat like 200 different species of plants and acorns, nuts, everything in the woods. A lot of times, sometimes we've had food plots out there. They walk right through them. They don't even touch them because the white oaks are dropping over here. They want to get the, the white oaks. They want to go to even like, put. I was just talking tonight. I said ragweed. Ragweed's a thing that when you tear up the ground, a lot of times some people get a bunch of ragweed. Well, ragweed isn't so bad. It's like 24% protein. Like it is super good for the deer. I hate it in my food plus because it looks ugly. But even though it come up, it's good forage for the deer. I mean, our blends, we, I don't know. Tell you what happens too, like a, a lot of what we get into and, and you know, and, and you had mentioned, you know, there are different, you know, different needs at different times of year. And it's a couple of, you know, things that are specific, uh, you know, uh, a lactating doe, whenever they're, whenever they're feeding the fawns, like, you know, regardless of their, what you, what they get in their diet, you can't change the, 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 the quality of the doe milk we don't we you can't change that quality it's always the same but what you change is the volume so the volume can we can alter a little wee bit through the end of the season you know as far as antler growth antler growth requires a lot of protein and 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 as far as the minerals go requires all the minerals that you know and there's a lot more than just like the three that come the big three that come in into the into play with the with the um with the soil samples and so on so there's a lot of nutritional needs they need for antler growth. It's it's kind of crazy. And then, you know, late in the season, you know, if you want the deer to survive, they have to have fat to keep them warm or they die, you know, so they will freeze. I mean, and they sure can. We've seen we've we've seen the freeze to death. So, you know, we, we provide a lot of those carbohydrates and a lot of those carbohydrate rich uh, plants that we put in. A lot of those, those are the brassica type things. And a lot of those are the annuals that we'll put in. So, and again, the year the, what we try to do is try to keep something for the deer underneath their faces like 12 months out of the year. You know, they need a lot of food. They need a lot of nutrition. And and, and they will, uh, they like when Roy mentioned that they do eat 200 different kinds of plants. So a lot of times what they're eating is, is all kinds of the, the browse and, and, and a lot of the, the native forage like that's in the woods. And, you know, a lot of the thing, one of the things that food plots can do is, is they take a lot of that pressure off of the native browse. So. A lot of the food that's out in your woods out there, you kind of, if you can cut down the, the, the browse by 15, 20%. You can get thicker woods. Yeah, uh, a lot, a lot of, woods. of guys do, they'll do clear cuts. Like they'll clear cut and they, they'll have a clear cut. And usually within three years, a clear cut will grow up thick. Well, if you have too many deer, they're, they're just in there eating every little stump sprout, shoot, everything, blackberry, greenbrier, everything coming up. They don't let nothing grow. If you can put food pots in, well, that takes the pressure off that so you can get your thicker woods, everything else like that. It, it's not just about planting a food plot to hunt over. Bring balance to the landscape. Yeah, you're exactly, exactly. Bring, bring in balance to the landscape, like, like Howie, Howie said there. They need, to, they need a lot of diversity. I mean, because as, as the seasons change, the food sources change, and I guess that gut, their gut biome needs different kinds of food. I, like, I don't know the stuff behind of what actual minerals and stuff they need but like you'll see how they'll be feeding on one thing and then they'll transition and then you'll see them eating like hemlock branches and stuff it's like why would they eat that but it's like arborvitae hostas out of your yard yeah, you know, they, they like all that stuff what do you it's like they love the azaleas stuff. they love azaleas they love hosta you know yeah they love the all the stuff that grows around your house i mean you know they'll they're hell on all the flowers and they're hell on all that kind of stuff too if you want to Kind of keep you want to kind of keep them out of the backyard. That doesn't that doesn't hurt anything either. If you got like whole 
feel full of stuff. What I'm just gonna, you know, we're we're a little scattered, but that's 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 what we do. We're scattered anyway, but we have some, you know, some of the things that are in some of our blends. Just like you know, that one of the blends that we just come up, and it's only a couple of years that we've we've been to messing around with it, but it's out now. But we have a concealment blended, and it's there's there's forge there, of course, but you know, we use that for uh, to conceal entry and exit and so we had all these food plots everywhere and i had a had a little bit of difficulty getting into the stands i mean because you know we were kind of breaking a lot of the deer out i mean because they're feeding whenever we're trying to get into the woods and we come up with a concealment blend it helps us get in and out there's a method to that and we have you know uh, people use it like along uh along roads so that you can't spot the deer like uh you know in somebody's fields we have a, a blended specific for uh, we we titled it a jungle jungle blend, and, and as it really is, just a a big uh, big big giant cover in the middle of uh, in the middle of your, if, yeah. if you get the right rain and not a drought, it, it's a jungle. It's it's a be- it's awesome. It's sunflowers, sorghum, lab lab, cow peas, uh, rape. I think in it too, but it, it it it's it turns into a complete jungle. If you can plant an acre or two acres of that, get it established. It's amazing for habitat for the wildlife to like lay down bed and it stay in it. There's high protein forage in it. A lot of times the does will have their fawns close by. The fawns, the fawns will go in there and they got cover. They stay there. The, the does stay there. They're, they they got high protein forage to eat, which produces more milk for the fawns and everything else. But it's and then say come fall, everything starts you know dying off. Well now you got all them sunflower seeds and sorghum seeds, they're all for the turkeys and the birds. A lot of just native birds in Pennsylvania, we're feeding them too. We're not just hunting them, but we go out some of them them uh, jungle blend fields. I've never seen so many yellow finches in my life. Gives you something to look at. Until the it's crazy. There's hundreds <laughs> and thousands of them in there. They're, you're feeding all that wildlife. It's like it just all works in a big connection. You know, I got honeybees. Honeybees, they're helping pollinate everything. Like, it, it's it's pretty neat how everything works with the with the food plot. You're not just for deer; it's for all wildlife. And as far as I can know, and I, that's a that's a, a pointed like uh, fired us into this for a second here. There's uh, uh, we have a, a apple orchard on on one of the farms, and uh, we have planted clover like all around all that apple orchard, and that's what's titled a melliferous plant. That's just one that like draws in bees and. You know, we're looking to get the bees to get into a lot of the, uh, a lot of those apple trees, a lot of the fruit trees. And, you know, you can even see now that a lot of the, the big commercial uh, fruit vendors and uh, you see them, then they're starting to plant like a lot. Of, they rent bees and they rent bee boxes. So as opposed to doing that now, there are a lot of them are planting clovers, a lot of these white clovers that will last, you know, three, four or five years easy. And they're planting them all around their apple orchards, just uh, drawing the honey. Drawing the bees to pollinate the trees to get more apples. Like uh, it just, it just works out. It's all a big circle of life. Yeah. Circle of life. Exactly. <laughs> and then we get those deer that go in there and then we go ahead and speaking to the circle of life, we put them in the freezer and that actually helps <laughs> us with that little circle of life too. So we don't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely. It kind of makes me wonder, are our bees having an uptick this year because apples across the state are just on fire this year i mean i've seen trees literally breaking because they have so many apples on them it's like that everywhere this year i mean i'm into a lot of the wild or plants and everything else but we had for food plotters 
this May in Pennsylvania, the Northeast, it sucked. We had a drought for a month and a half. Nothing grew. It, it was it was terrible. But for the apple trees, that was right whenever everything was blossoming. So it blossomed. When it, everything blossomed, we had a drought. So all them flowers were getting pollinated. Well, there was no moisture. So none of the flowers got mold or diseases. So the, everything pollinated, every blossom made an apple. That's why you're seeing that this year with so many apples. That drought helped, that, that drought was no good for planting, for a lot of stuff. But it, the apple trees, fruit trees, pear trees, persimmons, all that, it, it just did phenomenal. It's, it's, funny phenomenal how, for. it's funny how nature has its way of balancing out for each. each. Last, yeah, last year there wasn't an apple. On it. Like my dad's place, there's 10 or 15 apple trees there. They're old apples. They've been there for 30 years. Last year there wasn't one apple. We lost two trees this year because there were so many apples on them. They uprooted. Up in my property, I'm upstate, and uh, I actually have the opposite. Because it got real warm in the spring in April. It was like 80s for a week, and everything started to bloom. And then uh, it got cold into the 20s for a couple nights, and it, like, froze my oaks and the, and the apple trees. I don't have a single apple. And I have, like, 15, 17. 15, somewhere around 15 to 17 apple trees on my property. I don't have a single apple. Yeah, you were right in that little pocket. I, we were doing a show. It was actually uh, Potter County Fairgrounds whenever that happened. And we got up that morning. I woke up that one morning. It was 29 degrees, and it was a frost. And I was like, holy hell, it shouldn't be this cold right now. No. And it did in certain areas. We have a camp. I have a camp in Potter County. And we have chestnut trees and apple trees up there. And it, it, it burned all the leaves off every tree. It burned and all the leaves off my oaks, too. It burned all, 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 it, it burn all the leaves off. And it, well, the, the trees come back, but they didn't get no fruit on. But that was just certain pockets of areas that we got that frost this, this year. But anywhere it didn't, it's like you said, the, the apple trees are just loaded. They're loaded, man. Like, I've, I've seen, I've legitimately seen probably like five or six trees that literally the branches are touching the ground. My mom works on a country club. They've literally had to trim all the trees because all the branches are breaking on them. They have so many apples. I mean, she brings home 35 or 40 pounds of apples probably three or four nights a week. It's crazy. Wow. You can make an apple pie with them, right? And applesauce and stuff, right? She's been making some mean applesauce, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Hard cider. Oh, yeah. There you go. Man, I, I never really got this appreciation for food plotting and I never saw this before but we recently did an episode with some guys that do a lot with whiskey and one of the things that they mentioned was like the appreciation of like a 10-year whiskey and I start to think about it and I compare it to food plotting and you guys are talking about how you've put some of these blends together and you work with them well then you think about it when you're trying to test a blend you literally have to put the thing in the ground and grow it to see what it does so you have to wait an entire season, see what it does, and then make an alter, you know, make a change to it, and then plant it again the next season, see what it does. It's like it's kind of wild the appreciation that goes into some of these blends because when you think about it, I'm sure you guys have had your hands on them for four or five years. I mean, you're putting like a pretty good amount of detail and 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 work into these blends to get them out on the market. And like you said, Roy, I think you were mentioning about how you continue to kind of tweak them. But when you think about it, these blends that have been like perfected, 
they they deserve a little bit of appreciation because there's a lot of work that goes into that and the way that it's spent two three years on on putting them together we we actually we dabble in in blended whiskey actually a little bit too i mean there are <laughs> occasions we dabble in whiskey i mean it can we can do that sometimes and sometimes that works out that works out before we get started also but yeah yeah some of these blends we we mess with like that, that we have a blend it's uh game fuel and we've had that probably i think we're going on about our fourth or fifth year on game fuel i don't even remember because i've been messing with this blend for years and i think it's been four or five but i i got it i got it tweaked right now it's perfect like uh, i i shit canned a couple components out of it changed a couple different things and right now uh, i'm happy with it it's doing phenomenal i had a guy call me the other day and said hey i got this game fuel off of you back at the harrisburg show at the great american outdoor show and he said I planted it. He said, I never had nothing grow like this. And I said, I'm glad to hear that. I love hearing feedback like that. And the nice thing about, uh, I think I got to say this. Uh, sorry, I had a brain fart, guys. <laughs> You're good, man. You guys were talking with the whiskey. Did they mention anything about the, because uh, they got they usually age that in oak barrels. Yeah. And that there's a problem right now in the country with the uh, regeneration of actual the oak trees. Like, I think it's white oak. White oak. It goes to the stave mill. I'm a logger by trade. I sold lots. I caught, you wouldn't believe how many trees I cut down and went for whiskey barrels. Mm -hmm. I mean, tractor trailer loads and loads of them. They all go for whiskey and wine barrels. It's all white oak, and that's what they want for it. Yeah, they didn't mention really yeah, anything and about it. There's like a like, big thing now trying to get the. Yeah, they didn't mention any issues, but we didn't dive that there's deep. Like, there, there could be a potential shortage. There could be a, pretend, a potential shortage of uh, oak barrels to make to age the uh, whiskey in if we don't get on top of this oak problem and start regenerating some of these oak trees. There, there's like, I don't know, there's some kind of diseases that are attacking some of the oaks and our forests haven't really been managed correctly over the last several years, all because of like high grading timber and everything that uh, it's like these, those old trees aren't producing anymore. And the underbrush is choked up with like maples and uh invasive and still grass and still grass and invasives and <laughs> stuff like that and it's uh still grass is it's, it's not allowing the, the, the young oaks to regenerate so yeah that's that's an interesting topic to go down to but we'll, we'll talk about that you know you know they even fired up the the, the uh, broach the topic of, of of a weed and and you know so that would kind of lead me into thinking about food plot maintenance as far as maintaining your food plots goes there's there's uh you know the enemy weeds are the enemy and they they could they'll, they'll they'll drown out a lot of the good stuff that we grow and and they have a tendency to they're that's they have a tendency to really take over some food plots and they can there's different kinds of weeds that some are some are a little more the worst the worst the worst others, two weeds but, that i deal with in food plots in the state of pennsylvania is japanese stiltgrass which is becoming terrible in pennsylvania uh, you'll probably see it if you start looking around. You Google it, see what Japanese stiltgrass looks like. You got it on your property if you live in Pennsylvania, anywhere in the Northeast. And it pretty much comes in like a blanket and chokes every native species out. It'll choke your clover fields out. It'll, it'll, it just chokes everything out. It's terrible. Plus, the, the other, other weed is Pennsylvania smartweed, which it's called Pennsylvania smartweed because it was developed in the 70s by Penn State for a cover crop. 
got out of control. Now it's an invasive. It's it's a terrible weed to deal with. It gets like little pink flowers. Only comes in like a blanket. It'll choke everything out. They're the main two weeds that I battle in all my food plots. There are there are a lot of weeds that that are controllable. However, that like get into a lot of the into the a lot of the middle of these fields. A lot of them that are broadleaf weeds That's and a lot of grasses and so on. And the, the broadleaf weeds and the grasses. There's different herbicides that that you can spray specific for broadleaf and and we there are herbicides specific for grasses as well and uh there there is actually one of the ones that we've been kind of preaching the word on imox imox and it's actually a specific herbicide it'll take care of uh, broadleaf and grasses and so for a lot of our perennial plots that's where getting a lot of our uh yeah i was gonna say patients a lot of our uh people that we work with they're gonna we get (laughs) Yeah, I have another profession too. So, a lot of the people that we deal with, they're they're putting in. They're, we we get them to use this IMOX to spray to try to control one spray. It's a uh, one spray. IMOX is great because it's a one spray application that cr- controls about ninety five percent of your grasses and about ninety percent of your broadleafs and your clover, chicory, alfalfa, your perennial fields. Can be sprayed. I spray it twice a year on my clover or chicory fields, both the even mixes. But I spray it in June and then late August for a se- uh, you know your second batch of weeds coming in, and that pretty much knocks the shit out of everything. Like you have a lush clover field, then the clover can can come back, thrive, and choke all them weeds out. But IMOX, that's anybody out there that does food plots and you're able to spray IMOX is a awesome alternative. You know, for your basic clethodum and 2,4-D, 2,4-DB that you would apply to your clover plots. The annuals that we put in, most of the annuals that we, the blends that we have, they generally don't need sprayed. Uh, the weeds actually can't compete. They come up a little bit quicker than any weed even gets a chance. So actually, you know, our our, our annuals and, and those brassica plots, they come in faster than the weeds can. And so it's pretty rare for they can get a weed here and there, of course. And, and most of the broadleafs that'll choke out. Sometimes you'll get if you till or you, t- which is crazy, you till or disc the ground. Seeds, weed seeds can lay in the ground for up to like forty to fifty years dormant. You disturb the ground and you bring up something new. You might bring up. I've had issues where I might like example my dad's place. He's all organic. We I can't use any herbicides at his house on on any of his property. I put a clover plot in three years ago. I went in, I just mowed it, dissed it, planted clover. I got a beautiful stand of clover. Well, all of a sudden, bam, the foxtail came in, which is a grass, foxtail. It came in so thick it looked like I put down three hundred pounds of foxtail seed. <laughs> I mean it came in so thick, but a foxtail is an annual. So I went in, I mowed it off. I went in there with a pitchfork. I I raked it, pitchforked it all off. Well, the clover come back really nice. I had it for about two years. I wasn't able to do any herbicides, you know, use any herbicides there. And as of right now, three years ago, I had a lush clover plot. It was about a half acre. Right now, there is maybe a handful of clover in that in, in that whole field. Like it's it's crazy. Like the weeds just overtook. A lot of people don't like using herbicides. Now that IMOX. It's a, it's a spe- it's a herbicide that's an aquatic herbicide. It's actually specific for aquatic stuff, so it won't hurt fish. It has an, an uh, 
protein in it just binds to plants. It won't bind to fish, bees, humans, anything. It, it's safe on a lot of stuff. I like to use it because it's a very little amount of spray. I'm using three, uh, three to five ounces per 20 gallon, which I'm putting on one acre. It works. But it it works phenomenal on on clover. I I I love it. Like it, it's a game changer in the clover industry. Well, we're well, we're you know, and we're always out here for for people. And and you know, we're we tell everybody that you know that's that's probably before everybody walks away with bags of seed in their hand. We and and the same thing we tell people even online. It we're we're always out here. We're at back fordccompany.com. So we're always out here, and and you can always shoot us an email and. You know, whether you get our seat or not, that really doesn't matter. I mean, frankly, we don't care. We still like to talk about it. And, you know, we swap ideas out and all that kind of jazz. But you can always shoot us an email and, you know, we're always open for questions. And like, uh, you know, that's how we learn as well. So kind of kind of an open forum for us. I mean, we did the same thing. We had Roy and I did uh, seminars at this at this bow festival today and yesterday. And, you know, it's kind of kind of informal the way we did them and we're not we're not public speakers we're like i said i mean i can't we're you know we're, we're just out there and we just like what we're doing it's kind of fun and i mean for that reason we kind of we're kind of out there and we're a, we're an answer waiting for a question and if we don't know we can always kind of we can always come up with like something we'll find out for you there's definitely something to be said for that because i mean you guys you can see that the passion kind of comes through you guys are food plotters through and through and you you definitely love this because I can't think of another seed company that would be like, oh, we don't care if you buy our stuff. Right. Like, call us and ask us the questions because most of them are going to be like, if if you're not planting our stuff, we don't want to hear from you. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. I, I try to help everybody out just because I've been doing it so long and I've screwed up a lot of stuff in food plots. I've learned I've I've, I've, had, I've done everything wrong already. So if I can just steer somebody in the right direction a little bit. Yeah. It, it, it makes me feel good. They call me back the following year and say, Hey, I'm glad I talked to you. Like this, this, this works like this worked for me. And I, I just, it's, it's just, always a, always a lot easier to, to learn from somebody else's mistakes. I mean, and that's kind of the, you know, experience is the best teacher. So, you know, we've been tinkering around with this like for, for quite some time. Some of it, like, you know, some of it were on a, on a rare occasion, we get serious about it, but for the most part, this is really like, you know, we've been, we've been kind of playing with this and if, it wasn't fun we didn't like doing it it wouldn't it was a job i mean we i don't think we'd be doing it you know what i mean because we we really do like what we're doing and then and then there's a result to that you know it's kind of fun to see results not just the not just the the, the plants coming up out of the ground that's cool enough but you know we get wildlife on a lot of these food plots we bring in a lot of deer onto our property yeah, I, get a lot, I get a lot of guys that'll call me and send me pictures and they're saying oh look what my boy killed look what my daughter killed that's what i like to see the kids going out there, they get to see multiple deer out in the fields, whether it's a uh, four point and 15 does out there. That That's what they like. That that keeps the kids in the woods. And I like, I like the woods kids. Heck yeah, man. And I, you know, speaking of questions, I have one that I think you guys probably get all the time. We're talking Pennsylvania, high deer densities and a lot of pockets of Pennsylvania. And one of the biggest things is, you know, you put down a food plot and these deer are on it. There's just too, not enough food plot area too many deer and they're just eating the thing as it's growing up they don't let it grow up do you guys have any advice for when that kind of scenario happens whenever you know the deer aren't letting the food plot grow up hey hey you know what we, we have a generic answer for that like for everybody 
Roy started to laugh because we tell everybody, hey, you know what you got to do? You got to plant more. You know, that's it. <laughs> yeah, you got you to put more food more, more, more pots in. I mean, I know there's guys that fence it off and stuff like that. I've never had to fence anything off. But what I'm doing, I'm, I'm planting it to, I'm planting it for them to eat. That's the way I look at it. I'm, I'm planting it for them to eat. Well, they ate it all off. Well, guess what? I guess I should disc the ground again and throw something else in. I mean, I have blends for that. I have a rescue blend. It's instant green up. We call it rescue for that. It's for failed food plots or like you have a drought. The deer come in and eat it all. You need to get something in right before season. Our rescue blend, that's what we developed that for. That's a late season. You can plant it right now, and you're going to get pretty much or you get a rain on it. You're going to get instant green up, and it's going to carry on through the winter and come back next spring. Yeah, there's like there's there's really not a, a whole lot you can do whenever you're talking about a high deer volume and if they're going to eat it they're going to eat it that's kind of the way that that goes and you know a lot of the a lot of the perennials that we have they you know clover can come back and it will come back i mean and they'll keep eating it whenever it's like it's a little stub and it's not like exactly what they're looking for you know but you know there will be a there will be a, a period of time whenever they're letting it alone because you know the the oaks will be dropping and you know they'll let it get a get a little little bit better and in, in quality but Sometimes it's just, just the way it is. You I just mean, gotta plant. If you have the area, you plant more. When we started this out, my my grandfather was doing one acre. Within four years, we were doing twelve, or, or we were doing how many acres? 11, 11, about eleven acres in four years. We went from one acre to eleven acres, and we didn't have that much to plant. Well, we started ripping bushes out, cutting trees down, planting logging roads, getting every little square inch of where we could get seed in, just to keep the something going there because the deer were eating it all and i don't know if you guys i'm sure you guys know uh pa plotters oh, mike yeah. from pa plotters oh yep. yeah yeah he started out with us our first year in business got some seed off of us we talked him through it he was he did about four to six acres i think his first two years and then he couldn't his third year he couldn't keep nothing in there they would eat it all and he said what do i do i said well you have a high deer population you need to knock some does down and you need to plant more. Well, now he's, you see what he's doing right now. He, <laughs> he has got more shit going on in his property than a lot of people do. Yeah, he's, he was, like, uh, he, 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 he's got it figured out. He's got a lot of deer and he, I bet he's up to 20 acres planting right now. He was, he was Mike that he was Mike to put in a couple of like some food for deer. And now he's PA plotters and well, I'm not going to, we're not going to take the credit for that, but I mean, he's a plotter because like, of like, you know, us working together and, you know, and uh, we have a blast up there too. I mean, he's another knucklehead. He belongs to the club, so you know, uh, we have, we've had a blast up there going up, and, and we go up, and there's there's a uh, always a lot of fun up there. And we'll, you know, we'll, that up there, that's the first thing we do up there too. Sometimes the first thing we do is we get a case of Pepsi first, <laughs> and uh, then we get rolling after that. You know, so it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's just one of those things. Uh, a thing I heard guys using is it's called Nogarite, and I I think it. It's kind of like a fertilizer, but you could spread that out on your plot, and it has a really strong odor, and it kind of, it, it'll kind of propel the deer for a little while until that diminishes, and then the deer will come in. But it gives your your plots a chance to kind of get established. It's it's almost like a repellent. You could do that, or or fence them to keep the deer out until it's ready for, or you want them to come in, and then you can pull the fence. But I mean, I. I'm on a budget. I ain't got a lot of money. I can't, I can't put fences up and stuff like that. I don't have equipment, you know, so 
I'm just doing like four man plots and yeah, trying to keep out, it simple. Go out, go out and plant it. Have fun. Put the stuff in. Have fun shooting some deer. In, yeah, the deer come in and eat it. Hey, they're coming in and eating it. That's it. That's what you're planting it for. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, shoot them. Shoot them. <laughs> shoot them. Shoot them. I, I think you guys. The reason I asked that question <laughs> is from something you asked or something you mentioned earlier about you know clear cuts and growing up and some of the brows and it got me thinking. You know, before we we do a, a little small food plot experience experiment, I should say, and it's in a huge orchard, which the orchard's doing very well now, and it's kind of gotten them off of it. But one of the things that's really helped us from keeping those deer from eating it up is we did a hinge cut a couple years back, a big heavy hinge cut, and we really gave the deer a lot more browse and a lot more food, a lot more cover. And since we've done that, it's hugely improved our food plot being able to grow up and actually, you know, we're giving them a ton of other options like you guys mentioned earlier. And that was something that I was thinking about when I asked the question because of what you mentioned earlier. It just all kind of clicked to me all at once because some of those woods in that property are wide open. There is literally no undergrowth. There's nothing for the deer to eat. So you pretty much have an acre of food plot, which is the the area we do, with an orchard, and then we hinge cut probably another two or three acres, and it's helped exponentially. I guarantee it has. That, 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 that browse, when you, can, when you can go in and cut timber and get rid of trees, like I look at I, – I do a lot of stuff where I go in and people want to look at their property and say what to do, and they're always about the value or, value of their timber. Screw the value of your timber. If you want whitetails, if you're doing whitetail habitat, cut the trees down. Okay, well, cut them down. <laughs> if, 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 sell what you can. Yeah, make money on it. But otherwise, yeah. don't try to get every penny out of it. Cut. A lot of guys will cut. The, they they go in and cut the timber. They're taking the logs. They're taking the pulpwood, the scragwood. Every little stick they can take, they're not leaving nothing. If you want to create habitat, you cut the trees down. You take the valuable log timber. Just the first. 12 to 16 foot leave all that pulp with the tops that gives that gives all that native stuff that's going to come back your brows your saplings everything else that that protects them with them big tree tops like a lot of times you got to just look past the value of your timber if you're looking for whitetail habitat management cut trees you got to cut trees um, and as, as you're, you're talking about you know whenever you were talking about hinge cutting and and so on okay first thing came into my head i, I was thinking and the and the and the student has become the teacher. How about that? Right? <laughs> grasshopper. <laughs> grasshopper. I love it. I I've love done it. a lot of hinge cutting. Uh, I I have done a lot of hinge cutting, edge feathering, a lot of it. I'll tell you what, hinge cutting it it, it works. Sometimes it don't. It depends on the trees you're hinge cutting. A lot a lot of trees you cut you like a, a hard maple or a soft maple. You hinge cut that and bend that over. It's probably not going to come back and sprout anything off of it. But if you do a hickory or a white oak, something that can grow back, like it, it can take that. A lot, some trees just can't. Birches, I see people do it with a lot of trees. They hinge cut everything, and they don't even get any sprouts because they're hinge cutting the wrong types of trees. It, it's a whole process. It's just stuff I've learned over the years between logging timber and timber management to food plotting like it's a whole process and so we have a we I have can, another day of this uh we have another day of this show down here tomorrow so whenever like somebody's asking me about that and i start talking to them and i'm going to sound like 
I'm going to sound like, well, I'm going to sound like you whenever I'm going to talk to them about like hinge cutting and what that can do. So we're going to have to give you props or at least a bag of seed. I don't know what else to do. I mean, we'll have to, <laughs> we're going to have to do something here for you. So I appreciate that, that information like that. You know, we charge, but Hey, we, we don't, we don't pass on information for free. We tell, we sound like nice guys. We're not as nice as I say about that. So <laughs> we appreciate that. So we'll, uh, we'll make sure we'll, we'll make sure that we get you some seed out of this whole thing. here. Excellent. Excellent. I don't believe for a second that you guys aren't nice. I mean, we've been talking for a while now, and I, I, I definitely think of that we Seemed can share decent. some beers at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think it's funny, too. Oh, yeah. You guys have done some podcasts, and this is my last real food plotting question. Then I want to talk just a little bit about whitetails. But you guys have done some podcasts, and I'm sure you guys get these repetitive questions over and over again, and I'm sure that we've asked a few of them. But what's one of those things that – you know, when you're talking about food plotting, what's one of those things that is kind of overlooked or something that you wish you could kind of get out there that most people don't think about? Oh, my. Let me think here a minute. Uh, food plot size. I mean, that makes a big difference. I mean, there's a lot of people that say, I'll say they don't have equipment or they don't have the acreage. And and that's a big, giant piece right there. And I'll say, nah, we're thinking about it, but I don't have, you know, they think that they need a tractor. Or they think that they need a disc and Coda Packers and and they think that they need like, you know, a, a, a giant piece of land to, to get something done or make it beneficial. And that's just not true. You know, this, there are small plots that work very well. And there are a lot of small pockets that work very well. And it's a matter of and, and if they eat it, they eat it. And a lot of, the, a lot of that, you know, can be at specific times of year. That's one of the benefits of like a lot of these different blends and a lot of these different plantings that, you know, at certain times of year, they're, they're meant to come in and, and they start to get mature right around archery season. And, you know, I, I don't like the, the, the term kill plot, but, you know, just because it just sounds nastier than what it really is. But that there are there are places where you can put a small food plot in. It doesn't require a lot of equipment and you and, and it doesn't require a lot of money. You know, you can do it very cheaply. You know, not, none of us are rolling in the dough, but we have like all kinds of food plot stuff going on. And and, you know, it doesn't take that much. Howie has a little little piece up there and and he has more pictures though than than the average guy but he has a lot of cameras out you know if you put the cameras out and he's seeing a lot of deer and a lot of smaller plots there and some of them are in his backyard you know so doesn't take a lot of money doesn't take a lot of equipment doesn't take a lot of land i mean so yeah you can do it you can do it with pretty much next to nothing if you be creative about everything you don't, don't have to buy the newest fanciest thing that's out on the market Go to get off farm auction and buy some from the 1940s or 50s. That's what I use. It works for me. Like it's and it, it's the nice thing about it. If you're any kind of mechanically inclined, you can work on it. You don't have to go to like John Deere and hook it up to the computer and everything else. Like I, I like this old stuff. The old stuff it worked for them back then. It works for me now. That's what I like about it. Yeah, we tell people that they'll they'll become, you know, you know, being a being a food plotter, you know, even to start out, you will become a woodsman. You'll become a land manager. You'll become a laborer. You'll become a farmer. And, you know, you'll become a happier hunter because, like, there's a lot of satisfaction in, you know, seeing something grow. And, and, and it works really well. And Roy mentioned the kids. And it works really well with hunters that go out with their families. It's just we hear it all the time where people are getting their kids involved. And even it's, you know, if it's down to – you know, operate a piece of equipment or spreading the seed or picking rocks. It doesn't matter. I mean, you can get, 
you know, it's, it can be a family affair. It's kind of fun. I mean, you know, so it's, you know, it used to be back in the day, it was like, you know, all your grandfather's deal when it was everybody's dads and it was all men. Now there's a lot of kids, a lot of ladies that are involved now. We love it. It's kind of great. I mean, everybody's involved. So no such thing as too many hunters, you know, there's a, we're, we're a, we're a dying breed out there. So anyway, we can get people in the woods, make it a little more fun and a little more palatable for the hunter itself. I mean, because, you know, kids getting kids out now, it's a little bit difficult. We used to go out and see 60, 80 deer in a day. And, 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 and you know, you were entertained all day watching deer kids go out and, you know, now if you see a dozen, it's a good day. So, you know, we try to, Try to make it a little bit more of a family affair, and it's it's possible. This does help out. Anything that we could do to help out, and, and food plots do work. Definitely, definitely. I feel like I'm like living in my own nom right now. You brought something <laughs> up that reminded me of my of my childhood walking behind a Harley rake picking up rocks. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I bet that was fun. Picking rocks, picking rocks is like the best part of food plot. Oh man, <laughs> that's really no. I, I I don't pick rocks. Like I I don't. I, if they're big and they're gonna screw my equipment up, I pick them. Otherwise, I just plant right around them. I don't even mess with them. <laughs> that's great. I really love I that you guys. I rocks when I was a kid. I don't pick rocks anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love you the, just gotta be. <laughs> yeah, the fact that you guys mentioned basically you could use anything. Like we put in our food plots with a, a zero turn mower and. My, my buddy's aerating machine because that's what we have. Like he, he has an aerating business. We cut grass. That's all we use. And we put in food plots with it. Like I'll tell you what, that aerating machine tears hey, up the ground pretty did. damn good. Yeah. yeah you, you made it work with what you had. That's what you got to do. You got to make it work with what you have. That's it. That's it. Don't, don't think you got to spend a lot of money on stuff. Just, just make it happen. Like uh, you, all you got to do is break the ground up you can go out there with a, a, a rake and a leaf blower and put a food plot in yeah very simple like yeah i think austin's going to get to uh some favorite deer stories here in a moment but before we do i gotta know what is the top selling blend right now back 40 seed what is like the go-to someone comes to you bang this is what we want you to have uh i'm gonna go with our clover blend is number one our clever blend, uh, that's something we worked on for years, years before we were, were a seed company. Clever's king. And uh, if I had one thing to plant, I would go with clever. That's one of our top sellers. Now, uh, you get into our uh, annual seeds, our brassicas, our Uncle Al's fall blend. That's been a number one seller for years. Like, it, it's amazing. Like, that Uncle Al's fall blend, the, that that's a go-to for everything. Also, like I said, I've been working on. I was working on this one that that game fuel blend. That's another brassica blend. That's gonna catch right up with Uncle Al's in the next three years. I guarantee it because I tweaked that and it's a phenomenal blend. It has forage collards in it. The thing I like about forage collards, they're uh, I'm looking for a word. Oh, I can't come up with it. Uh, they're cold tolerant down to five degrees, which wow. is the thing I like about forage collards. They, they can handle it down to five. It goes down to five. They're still good. It goes up to 10 to 15 degrees. They're still growing a little bit. They're they're starting to grow. Like, the, they'll stay hardy. They won't freeze like a turnip or a radish will at 15 to 20 degrees. That's just all the process of this seed stuff that we do. Like, I read a lot. I do a lot of stuff. I do a lot of testing. And, yeah, Clover's king. I mean, if you're going to start with anything. Clover's, yeah, clover's my favorite thing. 
but our number one seller would be our Clever Blend and our Uncle Al's Fall Blend. And we have another blend. It's called Hybrid AP. It's right up there with it. And Hybrid AP stands for – the AP is for annual perennial. It's a brassica blend with clover and chicory in, which the brassica is a rape. Plant that the same time you do any of your brassica stuff, like mid-August early or late July, mid-August. You plant that, you get a nice brassica field. The deer will eat that. Mainly concentrate on that brassica and not mess with the clover and chicory too much. And then the falling year, that brassica doesn't come back. Then you have a clover stand, clover and chicory stand for like three to five years afterwards. I so, love that. I mean, all our blends, I'm saying they're, they're all top notch, but the, the go tos are the clover blend and the Uncle Oz fall blend. I'm going to throw in one piece because I, I think we'd be remiss not to even at least bring this up. And, you know, I think it's a real, a real important, you know, feature and adding some longevity to your perennial plots. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, you know, Roy puts he does a lot more install than 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 I do. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have him give you a little, little briefing on uh, frost seeding because that's a real important feature, and I don't think we touched on it. I do. We didn't even hit frost seeding. Uh, frost I, seeding is definitely if you're doing a perennial plot, your clover, alfalfa, chicory stuff, any of your perennials, you can frost seed them. Which frost seeding is February, March here in Pennsylvania is when I like to do it. Depending on the weather, we might get a warm spring or something like that, but you got to watch the weather. You know how like the ground gets all crunchy in the mornings. It's all heaved up and frosted and crunchy, February, March. That is the time to go out. You have an existing clover plot. You go out, you spread some clover seed on that plot early morning when the ground's all crunchy. The seed falls down in all them cracks. Then when it warms up during the day, the dirt settles on top of it. It'll do that multiple times through February and March and just keep putting that seed into the ground. Once the ground temp gets up where everything can germinate, boom, you got clover sprouting everywhere. And that's a good, easy way to get a food plot established. Keep it long. I mean, I got a clover plot right now. I'm going on eight years, eight years, and it is phenomenal clover plot, but I frost seeded that three times. Now you can even do poor man's food plot right now. Go out, go out right now and spray an area you want to plant next year for clover you go out right now spray it dead there won't be nothing there all winter it's just going to be dirt and mud everything's dead but come february you can go in there spread some lime pelletized lime however you want to do it powdered lime spread that clover seed like frost seed when the ground's all crunchy and boom you got a food plot come may june it, it starts growing you didn't even have to disc till rake do nothing yeah, like I it's an easy way to get a good, good, good clover stand going. Yeah, I wanted to kind of bring that up because I, I, I didn't want to kind of leave that out of like you know our little arsenal there as far as like you know putting stuff in. So I did want to kind of bring that up because that's a that's a real important piece right there, and it's a real easy way to real easy way to add years to your existing perennial plants. And kind of wanted to make sure I got in there. No, definitely. I'm so glad that you guys brought that up because I actually had that in my notes. I was, and I dude. didn't even think about it because my notes are on my phone. Yeah. I was trying to remember all the questions that I had for you, and that was one that I skipped right over. So I'm not gonna lie; I was literally just about to bring that up because I had friends that did it this year. That's what I told them to do because they had never done a food plot before. They, you know, he they normally plant like the farmers farm the ground, but he didn't have the farmer this year, and I told him like, look. It's February. If they're not going to plant, you need to be out there right now frost seeding clover all through that area. 
and it took off like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he had a beautiful clover plot, and it was unreal. Well, then the farmer ended up going in and actually farming it and spraying. Oh, it no. Can you believe that? Yeah. <laughs> Killed it all. And I was like, dude, I am so bummed for you. They hand spread four acres of clover seed and had all this beautiful clover plots. And then the farmers came in and sprayed it all and <laughs> ended up farming it. I was literally yeah, just about to bring that up and you guys brought yeah. it up. Yeah, so. like, yeah. Yeah. Those guys, yeah, those farmers, they hate the deer. It's funny how they, yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't want them around. <laughs> they want to get rid of them. They want to bring them in. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, you know what? You mentioned a little bit earlier about us being in your head, but. I apologize for that, but like, it's not that easy to figure y'all out. I don't want to say, I don't, I don't want to bring that up. But, you know, you guys that was good. That no, was good. No. I'm not going to lie. Y'all can live in there <laughs> rent free. It's all good. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it's not very pretty. I, I can't believe what the hell we're seeing in there. It's not so good. I had to turn my head. <laughs> yeah, there might be squirrels juggling knives in there. I'm not sure. <laughs> great. That's funny. That's funny. Well, guys, we are getting a little bit closer on time, but I'll give you guys a second to think about it if you want to. But I think I, off the I cuff, dude, we're probably over the time. I, I can talk for hours. No, you're good. <laughs> Listen, we can go as long as you guys want. I don't. I got four hours left on this card. We're we're solid. But I I do no, want I you guys to. Go uh, long. I, I got I got I, I got we we. Can't do it too long here. I got family to deal with and shit. I know how that goes. I know how that goes. That's why we had to wait till nine. I had to put my kids down. Yeah, mine's still, oh, mine's still up and probably ready to rip the hair. So. <laughs> put them down. That's a little harsh, buddy. Well, sometimes when they misbehave, you got to do what you got to do, Bill. Hey, man, I understand. You got to do what you got to do. If they have it coming, they got it coming. <laughs> After today, they might have. No, just kidding. <laughs> but that being said, man, I'd, I'd like you guys maybe off the cuff is good. But if you want to think about it, I'll give you guys some time. But from each of you guys, I kind of want to hear your favorite deer story of all time. Now, that might be your first deer, might be your biggest buck. It might be a miss. But think back in that Rolodex and, and each one of you, I want to hear that that story that you guys tell around the campfire. Okay, I'm going to tell you because my, um, my memory is a little more compromised than most, so I'm going to have to go with, like, last year's story because, like, once I, I'm going, going back a whole lot farther than that, I'm not really, I'm, I don't know, I might have to start making up some, making up some stories. But, I, okay, so this past year, I did wind up shooting a, a very respectable buck, and, you know, I spent a lot of time in a tree stand. I'm a, I'm a dawn-to-dusk guy, and, and I spent a lot of time in a tree, and, I'd seen a lot of deer this past year and I hunted some, I was hunting some white oaks and I'd seen a, a lot of deer. And so I wound up, uh, you know, cutting right to the chase. I wound up seeing a, a real nice buck trot down and right down, you know, 25 yards away, standing broadside. He's sitting there and he's staring at a doe that I was kind of watching too. And you know how the does kind of give you a little bit of an alert and she's, she heard it and she saw him before I did. So I kind of looked up that direction and, and, and it, it he's standing broadside he's 20 yards away it gave me a chance to draw and i'm thinking i can't believe this thing's that close and i'm getting to draw and i wound up smoking an arrow right through the boiler room right there and and first time in 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 all my years of hunting i've hunted a lot of years and this thing he fires straight towards the truck so he's running down towards my truck Mm -hmm. and piles up like right behind the truck i'm thinking oh my god i can't believe it so that's i'm thinking so that's a first i called one of my buddies and 
you know, of course, that's the first thing he says. He says, okay, was it was it crazy or was it crippled? Is it a three-legged deer? Was it a blind <laughs> one? Or what did you shoot? You shot another blind one. Or, so he's giving me the business. And so how if I did get down and piled up on this deer and son of a bitch, if it wasn't blind in my eye, I see it so how I did shoot a blind one. So it was blind on my side. So I got the, I got to draw on the whole shebang and I, and it was blind on that side. So I did finally get to shoot a blind one. My buddy like been busting my balls about like, you know, these deers and what's wrong with these deer that I've been shooting. And I, I, I get more than the average, you know, and, but some bitch if I didn't shoot a blind one. So, so there, that, that's, that's just past year's story. Never saw it coming. That's a good one too. Cause I hope. Yep. No man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I got I got a good one. I'm gonna go with. Oh, I got a lot of good deer stories, but last year oh, I'm gonna go with it. But it, it was a little uh, sort of barbaric, a little bit. It was kind of a little crazy for me. But oh, this is great. Uh, this is a good story. But I, I, I have this. I, I watched these bucks. I passed up multiple bucks through the season. Some really really nice ones. I have this one come down. I'm doing a full day sit. I'm like six days into like six full day sits. Passed a few nice ones up. Well, this buck comes down. He comes down. He's like 30, 35 yards. I shoot. He comes down, stops, boom. I shoot. It goes right over his back. I'm like, oh, God, man. I mean, how'd I miss this? How'd I miss? He ran into the bottom. He's 150 yards away from me. And I'm like, all right, well, he's down there. I reach for my grunt tube. Never works. Grunt tube never works for me. It ever does. Oh, I start hitting the grunt tube. All of a sudden, bam, he turns. He's come. I shot. I missed him. I scared him off. Well, he's coming back now. Here he comes. He's coming up on the other side of me. He comes in about 20 yards backside of the tree from me. I pull around. Boom. I shoot again. Boom. I hit him right in the spine. Shooting oh. high. I'm like, okay, that's how I missed him the first time. Shooting. I hit him in the spine. Terrible. Well, I hate hitting the deer in the spine. He hit the ground, boom, fell down. I'm like, oh, man, I only got one arrow left. All right, he's laying there. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to get another arrow in. I want to knock him down here, you know, boom. I, I throw another arrow in, pull back, shoot, boom. I hit him in the spine again right beside the other arrow. I'm like, oh, oh, my no. God, I'm out of arrows. He's laying there. I'm like, all right, what do I do? What do I do? Okay. I'm like, all right, I'm getting down. So I, I'm in, I'm saddle hunting. So I hurry up, scramble down out of my, out of my tree, off the rope, down the sticks, get down. I'm like, all right, I got to go over here and deal with this deer. I don't have any more arrows. I got him wounded. What do I do? I got to, I got to kill him. I got to get, you know, put him out. So I, I, I end up taking my lanyard off my saddle. I go running down. He's still a hundred percent alive. You know, it, it's terrible. I hate shooting him in the spine like that, but he's 100% alive. Well, he starts scrambling down over this steep-ass cliff rocks. He's going, and I'm behind him going. Well, I take I take my lanyard, and I make a loop. Loop in the end of it. Well, I give it a toss, and I'm like, I'm going to just lasso this thing over the horns. Well, I lasso him around the horns. Well, I get him lassoed around the horns. Well, guess what? He's, he's dragging me down the bank. He is irate like i i shouldn't have done this so i gotta hold him it's like having a bowl well he's dragging me down the hill and we get hanging up in a treetop i took the carabiner off the thing and i strapped it to a log well now i got him he can't go nowhere so now i gotta do the <laughs> do the right thing I, I get my 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 pocket knife out and i cut his throat i cut his throat and i back away so i'm not getting kicked or anything and he did his thing. I just walked away, went back to my stand. I was like, holy shit, I can't believe this just happened. It was the craziest thing ever. I come up, I come up on Roy and I said, wait a minute. He said, yeah, I laughed. 
lassoed him. I said, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, yeah, I lassoed him. He said, he started down there with that hill. He said, then I had to throw my rope around a log. I said, wait a damn second. I said, so you lasso him and you throw your rope around a log. I said, you're a cowboy. I said, I can't <laughs> believe what you had to do. We were, we were cracking up. And, it, it, it was crazy. I mean, I felt yeah. bad the whole time. Like, this was not how a hunt's supposed to go. You want a, you know, nice, ethical, clean kill shot. But it, does, it, doesn't, yeah, it doesn't happen like all that time. You got, you got shit that happens out in the woods. And, I mean, I was in a remote area then, and that was the first deer. I'll give it that. I ended up stringing that up in a tree, taking the hide off of it, quartering it, packing it on my stand, and I carried that deer out that night. Head and all, the whole, the whole deer I carried out of my back. And it was a crazy experience. I got pictures. It, it, I got it, pictures. It, it, it was something else, though. I'll give it that. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that, that story there. That's bananas, man. That kind of goes back to the so. old adage. I think uh, maybe you had that one tied to a tree for the <laughs> for the season. <laughs> yeah, had him tied up. Yeah, I, I, the biggest thing I did that for is because I didn't want him going 200 yards down that ridge because otherwise I'd have had to bring him back up over that ridge 200 yards. No, I don't blame and that's you. why I lassoed him by the horns and tied him off to a log. I got lucky. <laughs> that is a freaking story, man. That That's right. awesome. I got to be honest, though. Howie, you're sitting there, and all I can see is your face kind of glowing from that uh, from that campfire. I almost want to hear a ghost story from you instead of a deer story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Howie's an extreme hunter here. I mean, he he is the man on hunting. Yeah, I might have a couple ghost stories for you, but uh, man, it's kind of tough because I have so many vivid memories that are just that I love so much. I think one of them would be a couple years ago. I just got my ass kicked having a tough year archery season was real hard um got into rifle season i hiked way back in dropped down this bottom came around this side hill and i, I figured i was going to hunt there for a couple hours in the morning and then when the thermal switch i was going to work my way up the mountain as a thermal switch and just trying to get into a different area and then spend some time because i knew there were some bucks in this, this particular spot right after daybreak another hunter comes up to me i'm like oh shit well, he went one direction, and then like two hours later, right before I was getting ready to go where I wanted to go, another hunter comes up to me, and he said, I'm going straight up. I'm like, well, that's where I was going to go. So I'm like, now I don't know what I'm going to do. Both my kind of my plan backfired here. So I sat there and thought about it for a couple minutes, and it's like, well, this is kind of blown out. I'm going to just head to the right and go around this side of the hill. And um, I hiked out across this ditch. As soon as I got up on the other side, I seen a bucket up, and he started running down over the hill, and I could immediately see the rack. But he, he didn't he didn't run hard. I'm like, I don't think he was that spooked. He didn't really know what, what happened. So I started kicking the leaves and scratching and, like, double, st- triple stepping, trying to sound like a deer walking. Walk a couple steps, like, kick the leaves. I made it about – I tried to get as close as, as I could to where he was, and I found a real big tree. I stood there. And I scratch the leaves again. I look. Here he comes back. He's trying to figure. He must have thought it was another deer. And I threw the, the rifle up and got a shot off at him. And got a, it was like 125-inch eight-point, you know. And I had to pack him out of there. And so it, it just, like, capped off the season, you know. It was hard year. And, and you make it happen with, out of something. So that was one. And I, and I want to say another one. It was two seasons ago. Um, I was hunting with my grandfather because he's getting up there and, he, he can't hunt anymore now. So I built this tower blind up on my property pretty much just for him. 
because uh, he's the one that got me into hunting and everything. So <laughs> I sat with him, and his arms are kind of like weak, and I had a, a tripod set up for him, and he can't just like pick a rifle up and swing it. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, man, this is going to take a miracle because like the deer got to come right down his gun barrel. And then you start to think like how grateful you are to be able to just hunt the way you want because you don't have any health issues, you know, it's, so I look to my right and I see these buck come across this little like bank I have there. And one looks like a pretty nice one. And then I try to get on him and I try to get him on him. I, I thought they ran away and I'm like, Oh man, I was kind of bombed. And like, cause I really wanted to get him a deer. So <clears throat> I look, I look behind me, open up the window, the blind, there's a deer on the clover pot. I'm like pop pop. Now he kind of wanted to shoot like a big deer, but I was like, pop pop. You want to shoot a four pointer? He's like, yeah. And he can't take the cold anymore. I can tell you he's cold. I had the buddy heater going for him. I said, okay, we got to be quiet, but I got to get you up and turn you around. And it's like 20 years ago, this was him coaching me. You know, it's kind of emotional to talk about it because he's not doing well right now. So give me a second here. You're fine, man. But anyway, I got him turned around, got the gun out, and got him set up. I said, all right, you got to get on him, make a good shot. So he, get, he gets on the gun, and I'm like, all right, squeeze the trigger. He shoots, and um, the deer kind of kicked, but it didn't drop. He shoot, it's in a short mag. I thought, shit, like the deer should have went down right there. Um, I'm like, all right, well, let's go down, go see. And... We're walking down there and there's some snow in the ground and there's like no blood. I'm like, oh man. So my heart sank. But I looked in the tracks and I could see the one like was um like the one was dragging its leg. I'm like that looks weird. I'm gonna go this way. Well I walk over and look down over the bank and there laid his deer. So yeah, that, that's gonna be a good one. Dude, that's the first story was good, but that second one was awesome. And that really hits home for me, man, because my grandfather taught me how to hunt and I had such an appreciation for that man. What I wouldn't give for an experience like that, dude, that's, that's awesome. Hell yeah. So good to give back, you know? Definitely. Definitely. It's one hell of a grand finale if I had to say so myself. But it, it, it was great. Cause he was like, I said, look, there's your deer. He's like, Oh, he's like, good. I can get out of the cold now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, get back up in the blind. And I got him back up there, went down, got my Can-Am, came up, and I said, and this is one thing I regret. Uh, like, we had a lot of fun hunting together and never took any pictures. I'm like, we got to get a picture. You know? So, yeah. Man. Good shit, Tyler. Good shit. I like it. I'm yeah. a big fan of that, man. That's, that's, that's absolutely awesome. It really is. Well, guys, we're getting there. We're up on time. But I want to give you guys an opportunity to throw out there where everybody can find all your stuff, all the social media, the website, all that fun stuff, because I'm sure after this one, people are going to want to know. Uh, you can find everything at, uh, well, we have our website. It's www.back40seedco.com. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at back40seedco, same as Facebook. We're sort of simple guys. I mean, we just did this call with you. It took me a while to get the computer working. But I, I, I do a little bit on Instagram, a little on Facebook. Not the great greatest with it, but you can get on the website. Also, um, my phone number, Roy, my name's Roy. 
I'm, my phone number's on the website. Call me. Shoot me a text. If I don't get back to you, give me a day or so. I got a lot going on. So I'll, I'll get back to you. Plus, I wanted to throw out there, uh, anybody listening to this podcast, I'm going to do a 10% discount code. It's uh, Distraction10. Nice. Enter that at checkout. You'll get 10% off. You'll get 10% off all your orders. And it's unlimited. It's going to last for however long. And you got free shipping to the end of the year. Also, yeah, we are right now, if you're interested in doing like frost seeding, anything, we're, we're offering free shipping right now from now till the end of 2023. That's freaking awesome, man. I know people are going to definitely appreciate that. that. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate it as well, man. That's, that's freaking awesome. All right, guys. I, I appreciate you guys having us on for this podcast. It took us what three years to, to get on, but we're on. <laughs> it took it took us long, too, way too long, is what it took us. Way too long, and I apologize for that. That's m- mostly on us, just getting lost in the in the moment. And uh, you know, it, we've been using your seed, and we love it. I want to say that. I will say that. Uh, I personally, you guys have been talking about the game fuel. I've been putting the game fuel down this year, and. Uh, we've been using some of the clover seed too. Like, love you guys, appreciate it. Uh, I can't ask for a better a better podcast after all these years, honestly. And and for the discount code, we we thank you greatly, greatly. So yeah, distraction ten guys, go buy some seed. <laughs> distraction ten, don't forget it. That's really cool, man. I I do. I appreciate you guys coming on and taking time out of your night. I know you guys are kind of hanging out around the campfire, but. I feel like we're there. It's good. Yeah, I, I would say as far as you said that you're not that great with technology, you're the first to figure out how to do a podcast while sitting by a fire that we've ever had as a guest. So that's, that is something to be <laughs> honored by. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs>